You are now listening to Vocal Minds of Sophia. Today we have an amazing guest. I'm so excited to bring him on. We have political rock star, <laughs> Femi. Hey, what's up? You're muted. Yeah, I can't hear you. <laughs> that is a long wire, boy. <laughs> All right. How are we doing now? How are we doing now? I am good. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I know you're like mad busy. How are you yeah, doing? Sorry, I've I've literally just biked across my city, so I'm a bit sweaty. Oh my god. Nice. So welcome to Twitch. Hey. Have you ever been on, on Twitch before? I've been on Twitch. I've got I've got myself Twitch account. It's only just this year, so I've had it for about six months or so. You should definitely start streaming. I probably should. I probably should. I've started streaming a little bit on TikTok, but I haven't really got it up on Twitch yet. Nice. So where are you from? Uh, so I was born in the UK, in the north of England, in Darlington, uh, northeast. Where's uh, that? So, you know Newcastle? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's basically about 20 miles south of Newcastle. So I, I thought, yeah, from hearing you speak, like, yeah. I thought you was Irish. Have you ever got that before? <laughs> Uh, so the the number one guess is American, and then it's then it's Scottish, and then then just straight English. Irish is definitely a first, I think. Oh my! You say first, like that's so Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I legit thought you was Irish. Uh, so Darlington is near Liverpool. Uh, no, near Newcastle. Newcastle. New. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. So, so in the is it is it like uh, multicultural there? Because I know up north it's kind of like very each, each part is different right i wouldn't say darlington was that multicultural um middlesbrough maybe but darlington not so much nice so that's where you grew up yeah that's well no that's where i was born i grew up all over the uk i i've lived in darlington middlesbrough birmingham dundee so scotland for a bit swansea uh and then mainly in the, mainly in the west midlands so birmingham sort of area nice i lived in coventry for a little while coventry okay so i'm in i'm in solly hall right now and brumsgrove is where i mainly grew up so coventry's just down the road yeah no you don't sound like birmingham but that's probably a good thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's definitely a hierarchy of accents yeah no i don't know like i feel like in the uk um mm -hmm. there are pleasant accents that i like to listen to um the west is ones that i i i draw the line <laughs> West i think my favorite has to be scottish to be honest nice i like british accents like you know like very english i tried to like, put it okay. on but i sound hood so <laughs> so a majority of my audience is american um mm. so they they're not really familiar with brexit they don't know what's going on in the uk so no. i was like who is the best person to come and educate us about this and you know did my research and you're like number one <laughs> happy to be here awesome so how did you get into political activism so basically i studied law uh specializing in eu law and i did and i learned french as well so i actually spent one of my years of, of uni university college as your audience would call it in france 
um, studying law with French students. And then I came back to the UK, moved towards human rights sort of stuff in the EU. So working in Brussels and Belgium uh, with, the European, in, Europe, uh, with the European Union institutions, uh, basically pushing for human rights policy. And while I was there, I noticed that um, basically our country, England, in the United Kingdom, was selling weapons to Saudi Arabia and, and basically doing really bad human rights stuff in, in the Middle East. And uh, the EU was trying to basically stop us from doing that. So for me, I saw the, e the UK in like a battle, there was like a battle for the soul of the UK. Are we going to be good guys or not? Which involved the EU. And then when we heard that Brexit was going to happen, that would basically sever the ties between it, the, the UK and the EU, which I thought would be a massive loss for human rights. And I also listened, listened to the debate that was going on and having studied the EU law, I realized that the politicians that were explaining everything to the people of the UK didn't know what they were talking about. And so I basically started making little videos, making graphics, just trying to explain stuff. But in 2020, no, sorry, in 2016, I had uh, 20 followers on Twitter. So I had nowhere near the kind of reach I have had now. So I was saying all the same stuff but nobody was hearing it. So it just, it took me a, a long time to basically grow the sort of following that I could basically start influencing things in any sort of way. Did you not ever want to become a lawyer for human rights? That was kind of a little bit of the plan. Um, but I was also just very much aware that um, the law isn't necessarily good. Like some laws are just bad objectively. Like for example, when I was at law school, the definition for theft, um, you could basically get, you could, the, the jury could let you off on theft if either the jury thought that you thought your sorry either the jury thought your actions were honest and decent or the jury thought that the defendant thought that the average person would do the same thing now the problem with that is the if bad people don't think they're bad bad people do bad stuff because they think everybody else would do the same thing and so somebody who's good is more likely to think that their actions were wrong than a bad person. So a guilty person is more likely to walk free than an innocent person. And so I realized that the law, if you want to make a difference, you need to basically change the laws themselves. And that means going into politics rather than law. Wow. So you started making short videos on Twitter, right? And what was yeah. the first video that went viral? Uh, I think the first video that went um, quite viral was when I, we have a guy called Nigel Farage. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, he he comes over to the States a bit as well. Um, he likes it there. He's a friend of Trump, friend of Steve Bannon. Um, he's basically our our country's big, like, racist politician sort of thing. Um, uh, and he was the one who, he had a show on, on LBC, a radio show in the UK, and it's uh, aired every single night. And I basically started calling up on his radio show, and I got him to just one by one admit that all the things that he said to get people to vote for Brexit were lies. Um, and I did, and so all those videos started going viral and that's sort of how I can, kind of made a name for myself online. Wow. Where did you get the idea to do that? That's really, that's really interesting. <laughs> well, it was just because I've been frustrated with the politicians for about a good year and a half at that point. And so I thought that this was a good way to sort of uh, show everybody that these politicians don't know what they're talking about, or at least they know what they're talking about, but they're lying to you. So wait, his listeners, did they start like following you? Because I imagine like London, like everyone in London who listens to that radio station must have heard you, right? Uh, yeah, so it, it, the, I got, the trolling really started once I started interacting with Nigel Farage. So I've had, since, since doing that and since really getting involved in this sort of stuff, 
the well in the three years where brexit could have been stopped so from 2016 to 2000, 2019 i was getting abuse every minute uh threats of violence every month threats of murder every three four months or so um so yes uh i i attracted some some of his people wow what what kept you going having that kind of like hate uh, just the knowledge that if you don't, if I didn't do everything that I could to stop what happened, i.e. Brexit, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. And looking around where we are now, we've seen that um, the, our, basically our experts in government are saying that the damage of Brexit is going to be twice as bad for our economy as the damage of the pandemic. We've got um, a shortage of butchers because our, the people who basically made our food very much EU citizens and because we've damaged the relationship there. We now have a shortage of that, and that's resulted in so far 16, no, sorry, 30,000 pigs have had to be culled because we haven't got anyone to turn them into food, and it's set to be about 120,000. And we're dealing with basically throwing away lots and lots of food whilst we're already dealing with a, a rising a, a food price um, crisis. So we're throwing away food when people really desperately need food. And if I'd been watching that, knowing I hadn't done everything I could to stop it, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Wow. Have you faced any stigma like being? Nigerian like background or like a man of color right and uh mm. Brexit people are very racist right they want predominantly everyone to be white in the UK right um have you have they said any racial marks and how do you deal with that so there's definitely a racist uh, rhetoric behind Brexit um and there's definitely the racists in the UK they voted Brexit um Unfortunately, it's not that simple. So yes, there were the people that were racist. And so, like I said, a lot of the death threats and, and threats of violence that I've gotten, the abuse, there's always a racial, well, there's often a racial undertone to it. Uh, and you could tell the way they were doing it. For example, with Nigel Farage, he used a poster showing refugees saying, we have to stop this sort of thing, even though the EU has EU, EU um, migration has nothing to do with refugees from Syria. Uh, he basically pointed to the sort of people who visually he knew that his voters wouldn't like and said, oh, be scared of immigration sort of thing. So it was definitely that. Unfortunately, there was a mix between people like him and ordinary working class people who needed things to change. So, for example, the parts of the country, and this, there's a similar thing happened in the States as well, parts of the country that have been left behind by politics, ignored by politics. They always vote the same way, so nothing ever really changes. They don't trust the other side. And so politics has no reason to really help them. And they saw Brexit as the first chance to really make a difference. They thought that if they gave politics a big shake, they, then maybe uh, London might actually take notice of the parts of the country where, where they live that don't get any investment and nothing really, uh, and there's not really that much opportunity. So they hoped that things would make things better. Unfortunately, the racists voted the same way. And so they all ended up getting tarred with the same brush. Wow, that's crazy. So um, do you think that the people like of England, they've been told misinformation, like the English people have been told, mis like oh, all the Europeans from Eastern Europe, they're coming, then they're taking all your jobs, right? And you're going to have no jobs. So you have to get these people out because you're going to be homeless, <laughs> hungry, and everything under the sun, right? Yeah, there was a lot of misinformation about, about immigration because, uh, so for example, uh, EU citizens, citizens from other European countries, they made up 5% of the UK's population, yet they made up 10% of our doctors. So mathematically, EU immigration was keeping our country alive. Not to mention they contribute uh, more on average £2,000 a year in taxes 
to our economy than Brits born here. Um, and there was also a line, that's one of the things that Nigel Farage was saying, that there were no controls on immigration available under EU law. And I got him to admit, admit that that wasn't true. So the, the, the entire rhetoric was broken about the effect of immigration and the controls available on it. Um, and it was just an utter con by the racist politicians in the UK. Do you, do you think that Nigel himself is actually racist or he's just doing it as like a money scheme or, you know, like just to be relevant? I think um, he, so it, it depends what you think of, of the definition of racist is. Racist in the sense of, do I think Nigel Farage hates people of a different color? I don't think he hates them. But racist in the sense of, are my, am I willing to push policies and push rhetorics and attitudes that will ultimately hurt people from ethnic minorities, he's absolutely willing to do that. And so if by that definition of racist, yes, he absolutely is. Do you think he is like, he doesn't understand that, that it's not hurting the, the, the actual British people by having all these foreigners in the country? Like it doesn't actually hurt British people. Do you think he thinks that he actually does? And so he's gone out of his way to be like the hero for Britain. Like I'm coming to save you. Yeah, I think I think he does believe in some sort of purity, uh, as some sort of pure British identity, and he believes that he believes in keeping things separate, um, and that's uh, yeah, I think that's the ideology behind him. Did you watch his documentary years ago on Sky? They did one on UKIP, and everyone was wearing purple and yellow, and they just like were really like straight. It was so strange, I swear. Oh my god, did you ever watch it? I, I don't think I watched the documentary on UKIP, but I remember him leading UKIP and it was just uh, racism incorporated. It was, um, these people were a joke. Yeah, but I, I, like, I don't know. Do you, like, they, like, they don't seem, they just seem like they, they, they lack information to me, right? It's like, it's not like they, they don't like Indians and they don't like black people. They're just scared that they're coming, you know, to take all their everything. So I think if, if they were so, reassured that, look, it's good for the economy, do you think that they, they would be on board or are they actually racist? I don't know. So it depends what you mean by they, because the, the, you've got to separate the people that lead these narratives. So the politicians, the journalists, etc., and the people who, on the street who actually vote, vote for these people, because there's, there's a difference. Like if you are on, if you're, if you're struggling, if you have, nothing in your area, no opportunities, no jobs, you're struggling to feed your kids, etc. And you don't, and you see that there are people often in London who have lots of wealth and you see that it is possible to live like that, yet you don't have that opportunity. You're going to be constantly asking yourself, why is it like this for me? And so when your political leaders then say, no, 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 the reason you're poor isn't because we've hoarded all the wealth in London or because we're, we, we, don't give opportunities to you and we make these structured taxes and we don't pay our taxes. It's because that person of a different color next door to you, that um, person coming from another country, they're the ones taking your benefits. They're the ones who you should be angry at. And so uh, often that feeling comes from a place of desperation. Wow. I say wow a lot if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but so, so, like so you started building this following on Twitter, right? And you're still working, you still had your day job. So you were still working? Uh, no, I, I, quit, I quit my day job in December 20, 2017. Um, no, I know, so when I you started Twitter, you still had your job, right? Yes, yes, yes. So in what 2016. Made you think, I want to do this full time. Like, I'm willing to like, give everything. 
so it was 2000, it was late 2017. I was working in Vienna. I was, I'd managed to go viral a few times, taking down Nigel Farage. And uh, I was getting a bit of a following. Um, and I was seeing that there, we were heading towards maybe at some point there may be a, a Brexit deal negotiated. And then people would finally see that it doesn't match up with what they voted for in 2016. And so I saw there was a real opportunity there. And there were lots of people saying, we need to hear from young people. And young people don't seem to have a voice in this, even though young people were the angriest about it because we're the ones who had to live with it for the longest. And so I thought, and so people were saying, we need to have some sort of youth movement. You're the loudest young voice on this issue. Do something. And so I hooked up with a bunch of um, young people who were also angry about it. We formed a movement called Our Future, Our Choice. Um, uh, and we bas I basically said, all right, I'm coming home. And so I quit my internship and came back to the UK and we did this full time and I haven't really looked back. Wow, that's that's incredible. Were you not nervous? Like, you know, because if you have like guaranteed income, like a job, right? And then you're going into activism, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's dangerous. As, I can you're imagine my right. parents are like strict. Are you <laughs> yeah uh yeah it, yeah they are they are quite strict they're definitely quite strict um uh but i came back and i was living in my parents loft for the first uh i was, was happy between my parents loft and uh, my brother's couch and my brother's four years younger than me um and i was living like that for about a good three months or so um until we got enough cash that i could basically um uh move into a place with the rest of the team um in london that's so cool so you were living together and you were doing activism together oh yeah it was intense <laughs> it was <extremely laughs> it's almost intense. like a sorority club though right kind yeah, of yeah so I, and i and i honestly didn't last like i was living with them for about five maybe four or five months and then eventually i just my mental my mental health just took an absolute nosedive and so london basically isn't for me i, I came back to birmingham and, and i've been living in uh Solly Hall ever since. Wow. What is it about London you don't like? I think I just, it's A, there's so many people, which means mm. that it feels, if you don't have a social network around you and all your entire life is just work, it's very easy to feel isolated and alone. Um, second of all, the, quality, the air quality is somebody who grew up in the Northeast, in the West Midlands, much better air. We don't have that kind of traffic all around you that feeling when you ride your bike behind the bus you can feel the years dripping off your like life as you breathe in the exhaust fumes it's not really for me not to mention it's just in terms of practicality um the people who i needed to convince didn't live in london london voted mm -hmm. heavily against brexit and so i was constantly having to jump on a bus to the other side of the country in order to speak to people i actually needed to reach so it was better to be based in the midlands is it nerve-wracking going out and doing like on the ground activism? You know, you're meeting, you're going to the north where I, I imagine some of these people are proper racist, right? And then you, you like you're going there and they're like, what's this guy doing here? And then you're trying to convince them that they're making the wrong decision. How do you get through mm. to people like that? So yeah, I mean, it, it was always a question. It's always like a roll of the dice as to what sort of person you'd be running into. Are you going to occasionally you'll meet a Remainer, but um, a lot of time it'll be somebody who voted Leave, and they'll either be the the, the thing. Honestly, the best thing about this entire the entire campaign for me inside was realizing that the people who voted Brexit are not the same thing as you see on TV. They're not the same thing as you see on social media. 
because if you watch, if you just watch social media, if you just watch the news and you're the loudest voices speaking, you'll think that it's just these really aggressive racist types. But when you actually go out and meet them, you see that, what I said, that desperation, that need for mm. things to change, that recognition that this system doesn't work for them and they needed things to change. And unfortunately, the only people who are offering a real change, unfortunately, it was the wrong change, but the only people offering any kind of change were the people who were racist. And so they voted with people like Nigel Farage, people like Boris Johnson, just out of desperation. And if you, but if you actually go speak to them, they were a lot more reasonable. I go to them, I'd say, all right, why did you vote for Brexit? I, they'd say, well, we wanted to basically take back control to make our own laws independently of the EU. I'd say, well, we we ultimately are going to end up having to do most of our trade with the EU anyway, which means we're going to have to end up copying the rules of the EU. So we don't have to pay for the extra cost of having to make different types of the same products so they're compatible with different types of laws. And which means we end up we're going to end up following the rules the EU makes without actually having any say over those rules because we're no longer members of the EU, which means that we're going to end up with less control over our country than we had before. What do you think? Well, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense at all. So I guess we shouldn't do Brexit then. And I had that conversation hundreds of times across the North, across the North in Wales, in all those places that voted leave. Um, but unfortunately, it just wasn't enough by the time when the time came. And because our system, our voting system is crap, even though parties that were offering to basically stop Brexit got most of the votes, the popular, so the popular vote went my way, the, the system basically put the Tories and the Conservatives in charge. So when it actually came into place and Brexit got the 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 higher vote, um, mm. how did how did that make you feel? Because you had been you... working your ass off technically to mm. campaign against it and trying to educate people on what they don't know, right? And tell them mm. like, look, this isn't good for you. You might think it is, but it really isn't. So unfortunately, like some from well, when the when the Brexit vote happened first in two thousand sixteen, my first thought was, well my country will never be good again. That was my first thought because I'd seen Nigel Farage spew this racism over TV. And so my thought was, well, if he's managed to convince the majority of this country, clearly I'm not welcome here. Um, that was my thought then. It took me a while, as I said, by speaking to people in those areas that voted leave to realize, okay, they're not just racist. They're, these are people that are desperate for change. Um, and then come the start of 2019, I knew, like I, I've got several tweets saying this, what, if, the, if an election gets called, the majority is going to vote for parties that are saying we should have a second referendum so we can stop Brexit, but, the, but Boris Johnson and the Tories will still win because our voting system is crap. And that's exactly what happened. And I can tell you on the day of the election, even what, after I voted, as I was about to head back up down on the, on the train to London to basically deal with all the media stuff and the TV stuff, I was sat in my car in that train station just crying because I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew that what I predicted would happen and it did happen. And after that, uh, I'm not gonna lie, uh, my mental health has never been worse for the two months after that, or for the month and a half after that. Um, I think I'm probably one of the very few people in the world who their mental health gradually got better as the pandemic progressed. Um, because where I was at the start of 2020 is a very bad place. So I, I'm born and raised in Africa, yeah? But I lived in London for like 10 years, right? And I'm European, like by paper, I'm European, right? So when the Brexit thing happened, I had, I had like, I feel like I'm from London. Uh, I went to school there. I had to apply for a visa because I never got a British passport. I had to apply for a visa mm. to live in England. And I was like living here for like 
12 years already like yes. it makes no sense yeah and and that and that and that's the that's the message that brexit sent that it was just basically saying yeah you you, you think this is your home it's not and that was the message that a lot of people felt and that's why it's one of the reasons why brexit became so such a hot topic with with such high emotions because people really took it personally it affected people's identity like and not not just in the sense of are you british are you not but it also became, a, are you a Remainer or are you a Lever? And that just seeped into who we are as people. Are we the people that are responsible for everything that's happening in the government, all the chaos, etc.? Or, yeah, it just became, it broke our country, essentially. So you actually met Nigel in person. So yeah. it went from you calling into his show. I wonder, like, from his point of view, like, what he thought, like, meeting you. Because I bet... He thought you were annoying, calling him every, all the time. Like, what was this guy always calling up? And now you're like face to face across him. That must have been really interesting. Were you nervous to meet him? I was definitely nervous about how it would go because I know how he operates. And so the moment he realized that I was going to basically trap him into a corner, similar to the one I trapped him in on the phone call because he'd seen me do it before, he basically started shouting over me. Um, and it became a massive shouting match. And then he even said, uh, "If you ever, uh, if you if you like that again, you won't be invited back on the show." Um, so he's exactly what you would expect of him. Um, and yeah, <laughs> and the thing is, after that, I then tried to call him up again to basically to get him to admit more of his lies, uh, but they just stopped taking the calls. And, and I even though it was like calling, like I called like a hundred times on one on one day, nothing. And so I thought, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And so I, I went onto Skype, created myself a new, a new number and gave myself a, a different name and used an American accent, called up, got through first time and, got, and then schooled him again. Oh my God. Is it a premium number or is it free? Uh, it's free. It's free. Okay. Wow. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get the, uh, what's the word? Audacity. Audacity. <laughs> Your audacious. Like, where do you get the confidence to kind of call, like talk talk i don't know what the term is like my english ain't my first language but like you know go head to head with nigel farage he's like an og well he is an og in in the uk right uh well it's because I, I i i know i know my stuff i know yeah. that um i studied eu law at two universities i know that i worked in, in eu affairs and so I know that I, I know that the stuff that they're telling people isn't correct. And mm. so I know that if I get them, if I just keep asking them questions that obviously lead in a certain direction, they'll eventually tie themselves in knot when, knots when their, their rhetoric meets the reality and people will see, oh, hang on, those two don't actually match. Mm -hmm. And so I know that I can win any argument against Nigel Farage. That's so cool. Honestly, I think outside, like he seems quite funny because he's like, he doesn't need self-acceptance and i think that's it that's uh that is very a great trait to have like he doesn't care whether you like him or not he's just gonna do him and i think that's one of the greatest traits and you just going head to head with him like i was watching your debate and i just think it's it's, it's amazing um so like when people ask you what what do you do like is political activism a career like what 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 actually do you do um, yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, so I gave up my job in twenty at the end of twenty seventeen, um, and so I was basically keeping myself afloat by crowdfunders during the campaigns. But that ended at the end of two thousand nineteen. Since then, I've basically been surviving off a media gigs, 
uh, writing articles for newspapers and Patreon and a couple of um, like GoFundMe's, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's how I stay afloat uh, wow. because I honestly could not see myself doing anything other than doing all I can to stop Boris Johnson and the Tories from hurting people. That's that's all I care about. Would you never go back to law? Because it's something that I, I, I imagine you can go because you have all the degrees, right? You can go and get a job today if you wanted to become a lawyer, right? Uh, Especially yes, now I because could, you're I could, like I a could. big star. People would hire you straight away. <laughs> I could definitely go into, into the, go down the law routes. I, I, I'd have to dictate the law practice course if I wanted to be officially a lawyer, but I could definitely rejoin a more like nine to five sort of job if I wanted to. Um, but again, it's the sort of thing of, like the very reason why I got involved in this was that sense of, oh crap, there's nobody at the wheel. Like nobody's driving this car. Um, and so I know that I fill a gap that nobody else seems to be really filling. Mm-hmm. And so for as long as I feel that there's a need for what I have to contribute, I have to keep doing this. It's a, it's the Spider-Man um, uh, principle. Of, uh, yeah. I have the ability to do this, therefore I have to do this. And also you're hopeful, we're all cynical. We don't think that we can make any difference in anything. Like I've spoke to many people about what's going on in the UK and especially like Boris Johnson and how he's doing these parties. And they're like, well, I don't agree with it, but there's nothing we can do, you know? So, so that, that's, that's the thing. Um, like, uh, and, I, and, I, and I stole this quote from Martin Luther King, which is that the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice that means that yes things may take a while for things to get better but ultimately that's the direction that things go and we know that in the uk because uh, well and to to some extent uh, in the states as well because in all but three elections since the second world war the majority has voted for parties to the left of the conservative party now, unfortunately, because of our voting system, the Tories have stayed in power for 46 of the last 76 years. So they've had most of the power, even though the majority of the, of the country is much more left wing than they are. And so, but eventually it is just a matter of just how many times we got to roll the dice. We will get to a point where the parties on the left realize that the way to keep the Tories out of power is to work together. And that means changing the voting system so that all votes count equally. Now that has to happen at some point and it will happen. It's a matter of time. I don't know, I'm hoping some sort of electoral reform may happen over in the States, but eventually given that that's, the way, that's where people actually are, that's the best way for people's views to actually be expressed in the halls of power, that will happen on both sides of the Atlantic at some point, And that's where my hope comes from. It's amazing what you're doing because I think everyone is hopeless. It's sad to think like they actually don't think that, they think that there's two laws in the world, right? or in England, right? So the the people in power, they can do whatever they want. They party, they do drugs, they do everything. They don't get held accountable. And then there's the the citizens who get held accountable for everything. And it's so sad that society is cynical. They don't believe that they can make any difference. And even like voting, right? So many people that I know will refuse to vote because they don't like, especially like in poorer areas in London, for example, they don't vote because they don't think that they can do like their vote matters, for example. And it's sad because that one vote could make a huge difference. Yep. But like they think it doesn't matter. Like even whether I vote or I don't, like what's going to happen is going to happen. Yep. And, 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 and again, that is in the UK, that's especially a, pro- a problem with the voting system because like uh, just to explain how bad the voting system is here, because it works on... By you have your own area, your voting district, in as you call it in America, I think. 
Um, and in any given district or constituency, as we call it, if 30% vote for the Greens and 30% vote for uh, Labour, so the equivalent of the sort of the Democrats, um, and then 40% vote for the Tories, the Conservatives, then because the Tories got the most votes, they'll be the one that become, gets a representative. They'll be the ones that, that go into Parliament. They'll be the ones that win in that, in that area. Now, that's even though 60% has voted for left-wing parties, the Greens and the Lab and Labour Party. So theoretically, if that happened in every single district, every single constituency, then 100% of the MPs, the members of Parliament, the representatives, would be Conservatives, even though 60% has voted for left-wing parties. That's a broken system. So did you see the video of Boris Johnson? Is it real, by the way? I don't know. Like, there's a video of him, like, he's dancing with a lightsaber. Is that actually Boris? <laughs> I'm going to guess that's fake. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that unless I've missed something huge, Boris Johnson dancing with a lightsaber is fake. I'm going to type that in now. Um, Boris Johnson. I feel like someone said it to me. you got to see it. Like, I've asked people and they're like, yeah, it's real. And I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't look like, it kind of doesn't. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing what you're talking about now. Yeah, so I've seen the picture of Boris Johnson <laughs> dancing in a club. Um, and somebody, and, and I, now I'm seeing that somebody's added a lightsaber to that, to that footage. So is it is that actually him? It's him dancing, yes. But uh, I think the lightsaber isn't something that he brings to a club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is this? So um, he did this during the pandemic and everyone is on lockdown. And he, again, like it goes back to me just like thinking, well, they, they're going to do what they're going to do and we can't do what we can do. And I know, like, for example, like in, uh, there was a family in East London, yeah, they had some relatives come over and they got fined, like, 20,000 pounds. Yeah. Like, just some relatives. And then you have people who are members of parliament who should be setting an example. I understand they're still humans, but they are the ones who are supposed to set an example and they're not doing the same thing. And, and it, it's, it's, it's sad. But then when you say this to people, they're like, well, we already knew this was going to happen. Like everyone is almost like burnt out and cynical. Yep. And yep. like you're the only person that I know is like hopeful. And like we can make a change. <laughs> like we can do this. Yeah. Um, and that, that is, that is exactly. And that's what they want. Unfortunately, they want to drag this out because the, and the, when they drag this out, because we, we've known about these parties for months at this point now. Um, but they want to drag it out because the longer this goes on, the more people will think, well, everybody's made a big fuss and nothing's changed. And they, and so that, and they, ha they did the same thing with Brexit because there was lots and lots of opposition to Brexit um, throughout the whole process. But they just dragged it on for ages so much that, that, that the people just disengaged from the topic and it was harder and harder to get people to talk about it. And so they ended up getting able to do whatever they wanted. And that's why for me, you're not going to get the Tories to change. Right now, the Tories are in power. They've got a majority of the seats in Parliament, which means they can do anything they want. Even if, they, even if Boris Johnson is found guilty um, by the police, they can still choose to just keep him on. There's nothing we can do to stop him while he's in office. The only time we have a chance to change things is at elections, which is why it's so important to vote, because, it, because young people don't vote enough. If we took power, if we took charge of our futures, we can take back this country from the people who keep voting in the wrong direction. That's what we need to do. Would you never run in politics? I think I think you could be a great figure to get people to vote, especially like in the hoods, yeah? Like in London, you try to tell someone to vote, they'll be like, what? 
First of all, they, they like no because they can't get their head around the fact that their vote could make a change. Like they, they're completely cynical to the system. They think what's going to happen is ha is going to happen, right? And I yeah. think you would be amazing. You should, you should definitely. Is it not something that has ever crossed your mind? It's definitely something that I think I will probably end up doing. Um, uh, however, unfortunately, <laughs> the problem is that people who end up in power are the ones who seek power, which means why, which is why you end up, end up getting crappy people in power. My priority right now is to try and make things better. And if gaining power politically at some point helps me do that later down the line, I'll pursue it. But for now, I think I can do more by just calling people out for the things that they're doing um, with the platforms that I have. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. They're like, who, who, like they, they probably have you blocked. A lot of people must have blocked you on, on social oh, media, yeah. right? I'm blocked by several of our members of parliament. Um, so like Steve Baker's blocked me um, and a couple of others, um, John Redwood. In fact, John Redwood was the funniest because um, we, uh, there was, it was during the Brexit years and I got invited on to debate him on LBC. And so I always basically said, all right, uh, well, basically the, the Tories have done their impact assessment. They've cut, they've cut them the calculations. Their experts have told them that every version of Brexit that they try and negotiate will end up leaving the country poorer. Therefore, by pursuing Brexit, it means they're doing something they know will make us poorer, which means they're actively trying to make us poorer. And the, the presenter was like, okay, that's cool, Femi. Uh, John Redwood, what do you want to say? And he was like, nobody told me I was going to debate. Um, I'm, I'm not, I didn't hear for, for, for debate. I can talk to you, but I'm not going to talk to him. Flat out refused to debate me, then blocked me on Twitter. Oh my God. What a coward. <laughs> he must have been yeah. scared. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah, no. Or he knows he's in the wrong and, and he has no comeback, you know? Oh, they, they, they know that you, they, you can't be in politics for as long as you people have been and not know that Brexit is damaging the UK. You have to know that. I mean, even Boris Johnson in 2011, when he was mayor of London, he went on TV and he was talking about how the EU single market is the reason why London is doing well financially and economically. In 2013, he said he'd vote to stay in the EU single market because we should be able to trade freely with our European friends and partners. Um, and then... Afterwards, he then supported Brexit because he saw it as a way of getting into power, and it worked for him. These people don't believe in what they do, they're doing, they just believe that it'll help them gain power. That's crazy. It's, 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 it's sad, almost, but if, like, it's, the, it's the only way, right? And it's almost like Big Boris still, they'll do anything it takes to get that seat, right? It's like, Nigel, I don't know, like, I've, he's, he's a character that you can't, explain mm -hmm. yeah well i try and make the distinction between boris johnson types and nigel farage types nigel farage types genuinely believe to an extent in what they're doing they have a political agenda it matters to them he's he's fought for years to try and get us out of the eu he's pushed racist racist rhetoric forever that's his entire thing that's who he is i reckon he genuinely believes in what he's doing he might tell lies to get there but he believes in what he's doing Boris Johnson is just an opportunist. He will he will do whatever it, whatever it takes to get power. He doesn't care what policies. If tomorrow he found out that by being a super lefty liberal, it would get him into office and get him more power, he'd do it. He doesn't care. Do you think anything will change in the UK regarding Brexit? Do you think there is a possibility that we might get a second chance 
to enter the European Union once again, or is this the end of that union between Europe, European Union and, Bre and Britain? I think it's inevitable that we will rejoin the EU. It's just a matter of time. Uh, the reason why is because there are five points that explain why Brexit can't work and has to be reversed at some point. Number one, all countries trade most, do most of their trade with countries that are physically closest to them. That's why America has a special deal with Canada and Mexico. That's why it's an association of Southeast Asian nations, why the African Union exists. That's one. Two, the biggest barrier, the, thing, the biggest thing that makes trade har harder is having different laws, different regulations, having to adapt your products to the laws of different countries. Now, that means that when you add one and two together, it means it will always be in the UK's economic interest to have similar laws to the rest of the EU in order to make trade easier because they are the closest ones to us. Four, the only thing that Brexit guarantees is that we no longer get a say over the laws of the EU because we're not members of the EU, we can't vote on their laws anymore. Five, that means we're going to be permanently stuck in a position of having to choose between either following the rules of the EU to protect the economy, but that means that we're ending up following rules we no longer get a say on, which is the exact opposite of what Leave voters wanted, people who wanted Brexit, to control our own laws, etc., to be more independent, etc. Or we intentionally make ourselves poorer by having different laws to the EU, um, which makes which people will eventually get life well, life in the country will get worse and worse, and we're already seeing that now. So we either deliver a pointless Brexit that angers Brexiteers, or a damaging Brexit that makes people suffer, and that mm. is a situation where we doesn't last. So we have to reverse that at some point. Wow. I hear that. But do you think that the people in power, they have money, right? So whether everyone is suffering, it's not really going to affect them. So do they care about the people? If the Tories stay in power, Brexit will never be reversed. So it, you have to basically, the only way we make anything in the country, be it on Brexit, human rights, the, the democracy, all the issues that people care about, the only way we make anything better is by getting the Tories out. How does that happen? If Labour, so the leading left-wing party in the UK, commits to changing the voting system to one where all votes count equally within 12 months of taking office, they can do a pact, an agreement with the other parties on the left of, of UK politics. That's the Greens, that's the Lib Dems, that's the SNP, um, and that's Plaid. And basically say, all right, we're not going to compete against each other. We're going to figure out which constituency you're going to run in, your chair you're going to run in, etc. And we're going to make sure that no progressive votes are wasted. And once we all get in power, we're going to deliver a better voting system so all votes count equally, and they will never see the Tories in power again. That's how we fix the country. It sounds so simple. So why do you think no one is, or are they taking it into account? So the reason why it hasn't happened is because um, too many people in Labour are under the delusion that because we live in a two-party system, effectively, first past the post, sort of, they think so first past the post, the system we have now, helps them because they're the other party. So eventually, surely, because we're a two-party system, they must win at some point. Um, and they haven't really figured out that the system helps the Tories because there's only one party on the right and several parties on the left, which means that the left vote is always split. And so that's one reason. Second of all, they're, they, they're worried about, about doing deals with other parties because as a party on the left, making an agreement with the Liberals, the people in the centre, the Lib Dems, um, that they, they're, so on, they're so on the left, well, the people that are so on the left in the Labour Party, they're worried that it would damage their brand to do any sort of cooperation with people in the middle. Um, that's a sort of tribalism that's just really stupid because the end product and result of that is that you end up with getting somebody on the right in power. So they need to basically swallow their pride and work together, otherwise we're all screwed. 
Do you think the Tories are only doing it because they keep the money like in their in their ken? <laughs> Is that the yeah. right? Right. No, no, yeah, there's definitely financial incentive because they grew up around people that are rich. That's who they are. That's who the, that, those are the people they care about. I mean, the, the whole definition of left and right and right wing is about who do you think should benefit from policies in society. So um, if we're talking about um, uh, right wing and right wing covers a whole bunch of things. It's either a, you want your policies to benefit a certain race, to benefit a certain religious sect, a certain family, for a certain bloodline, the top rich is 1%. That's how the right wing works. And, they, and so the people they care about are going to be one of those things. They care about rich white people and that's who their policies are designed to benefit. Yeah, that's true. It was so I used to work in hairdressing back in the days, and Jamama used to come and get her hair done there. And then she married it was like I'm not I don't like Imran Khan, but her marrying Imran Khan made like a huge like shock to those those families because and then she, you know, she named her sons like Muslim names. Um that's you know, because you were just mentioning the families, and I just thought Jemima yeah. she kind of went went against the grain. Um, mm. it's a different world because I used to work in a salon in like in Mayfair, like back in the days, and all these wives, and it's they they don't they don't know of people outside of that environment. It's no. they like in a bubble. Yeah, and and so because you don't really know and appreciate people outside of that environment, to you emotionally they don't exist. So you can think you're doing the right thing by helping people that you care about. And you don't really take into account the damage that your policies are doing people outside of your little bubble. Yeah, no. And you mentioned earlier about Syria. Like I, that is like heartbreaking, right? So bad. And I love wrestling. And one of the wrestlers in WWE is actually Syrian and he's doing amazing work in Syria. Uh, well, and, and then also, why do you think like, so aid workers from the UK that go to work in, in Syria, they take away their what's it called their passports the british don't want to work with that don't want to give give them their nationality uh well, as in, as in sorry the the people who uh, help workers from england mm. who have gone to syria to help and work mm. they take away their statesmanship because they think that they work for isis or some shit. oh yeah 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 the the, the, the new nationality and borders bill is going to make it much easier for uh the government to take away citizenship uh from people without even telling them that they're risk of that happening um that is not to mention this it also includes provisions which basically potentially make you criminally liable if you save somebody's life in the in the in the in the channel who's trying to get to here as a refugee um it's it's just some it's typical far-right stuff that's crazy as my mom was the asylum seeker right mm. back in the days and I just look at now, like the situation, you know, and, and when I see Pretty, for example, like she is, from, her family from Uganda, right? Mm. Uh, if if that system was in place right now, what she's doing, she would not be in the UK. Oh no, she's literally said that she doesn't think her, her family would have been able to come if under her own immigration policy. She's known for that. She's literally like, said, uh, said that. What do you think her incentive is? I mean, I, I understand it was a long time ago, but like, if like, I feel so connected to Africa. I don't know if you do, but I do like, that's my motherland. I love it. And I will do anything for my people. Yeah. Mm. Um, she's like so disconnected. It's unreal. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it just depends on, on how selfish you are as a person. And that, and that's the thing. If you, if you think, all right, I've reached this position of status, therefore I don't care about all the people that are left 
still at the bottom who haven't yet managed to climb that ladder that I've climbed. So I'm just going to push that ladder down. That's what she's doing. Um, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I mean, I every time I've visited Nigeria, I've been very, very, very much aware that if I'd been born in it, well, if my mother had been born in the house next door, my life would be completely different. I wouldn't have any of the privileges that I have right now. So that sense that you can just say, all right, they, I don't see them, so screw them. Is it, Some people are capable of that, some people aren't. It's just, are you a decent person or not? It's crazy to, to comprehend, man. Mm. Do you go back to Nigeria often? Uh, last, uh, Not often. Last time I was there was the start of 2020, um, uh, in January, just before everything ended. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that was from my granddad's funeral, and again, I was I was just I was very much feeling it there, um, and I, I did a stupid thing. Um, I I saw somebody by the side of the street, and I was just like, "Oh shit, this isn't okay." So I just basically gave them the cash that I had, which is a stupid, almost white savory sort of thing to do. But I was just like, "I don't know what to do. This is just it's just so fucking unfair." So I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear, but yeah. No, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And I'm just acutely aware that we need to fix poverty. And, and it's and it's crazy in Nigeria because, like, if you look at the center of Lagos, it's basically indistinguishable from Los Angeles. It's the same level of wealth, the same level of just... They drive Rolls Royces yeah. in Lagos. Yeah. Uh, but if you just go, like, 10 miles out of the center, and it's what you'd see on an Oxfam ad. It's mental, the levels of disparity between the rich and the poor over there. Mm, Nigeria is like a really trendy spot right now. Everyone's going there. People who are not even Nigerian want to go to Nigeria. Like it's the place to be right now. It's it's crazy how when I was growing up in London, it was all about like Caribbean, like Jamaica was like the in place, and now mm. it's like Nigeria. Nigeria is like running it. Even the music, like they're they're killing it in music. I love Nigerian music. Do you listen to much Nigerian music? Uh, not as much as I probably should when I was over there. But I, I saw I saw exactly what you're talking about. They are building in in Lagos, like uh, that. There's that. I can't I don't remember what it's called, but they're building basically into the sea. There's an entire area that's like really really cool, and they're just creating new land to just basically go out just to get more space. It's insane. Mm, even like. In Nigeria, as you mentioned, the wealth gap. Yeah, there's so, the richest African man in the world lives in is Nigerian. I forgot mm. Dangote, right? That's his surname. Um, even them, like how how do you think they 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 are in Africa? They can see because mm. they can see it all around them, right? Yeah. And they don't. It, there is it's it's there's something like we're missing. I feel like there's information that we're missing. Because even even in India, Ambani, one of the richest men, he lives in Bombay, Mumbai, right next to the slum, the biggest slum in the world. And he's not doing anything. Yeah. So for me, like, there's obviously lots of corruption. I mean, we've got corruption in the UK, of course. We've very much seen it. Several corruption scandals with Boris Johnson basically sell, using all the money that was supposed to go to COVID contracts, basically to give it to their mates and, and buying PPE protective equipment that didn't work because they wanted to use them, a, a mate's company that kind of stuff, hundreds, and hundreds of millions of pounds just wasted. But there's also corruption in, in Nigeria. And I think that's the core of the problem. So you'll have infrastructure pro um, projects to build roads, but then the money just won't get to where it needs to go because it's gone to somebody's pocket along the way. And I think I think when I was speaking to my, my family who live over there, I was like trying to figure out what would make things better, what would solve the problems. And I have to say, 
it's about procurement, which sounds like a really just annoying and boring wor word, but it's just like the way in which the government spends money, they need to have criminal sanctions if the money doesn't get used properly. And I think that would be the thing. If, if everybody knows that if there's a certain target for when this project has to be finished and how much it's supposed to cost, and if they don't meet it, they're going to jail, I think that would solve so much of the problem. Yeah, they have that, and they had that in Tanzania, but the president passed, first went missing and then passed away. So he was putting into place all these things like no corruption. If you're a corrupt leader, even in the government, you get in prison. Like you can't take money at the table, none of that. He ends up passing away. So that's a, another story. But you mentioned like the PPE thing. Uh, Michelle Moan was caught into this scandal, and I grew up a huge fan. She she invented the Wonder Bra, right? She's from Scotland. She invests. So obviously I'm a fan of her. And she came from like nothing. And to see her now with everything and, and doing corporate fraud, but she came from the other end. It's very strange to see. Yeah. It, it, it's the, it's the pull, up, pull up the ladder thing. Once you get to a certain level of status, you think, well, I'm here. Um, so I'm good. <laughs> Do you think you ever else. become like that? If you ever cross over? I don't think, uh, thing is like my entire, uh, as I said, I, I got to a dark place when I when Brexit was going ahead, um, when um, when we lost the election, and that was on the basis of um, went through trauma as a kid, gave me a whole bunch of emotional issues, channeled it into doing good, basically basically honed my entire life has all been about I need to make use of what I went through in order to do good and help other people, um, and so when after after the, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stop, stop Brexit there was a very much a question of what's my life for um, and you can guess where that sort of leads mentally um, and so the idea that I'd ever get to a place where I'd operate purely selfishly I don't think I could ever get there would you never work as an NGO I could do that, I could do that. organization I could see you doing that honestly and it gives you purpose right I could see you in mm. like Syria or you know Afghanistan um, I could, I, could, I could definitely do I could definitely do that sort of work um uh I think my main use however is in if I was working if I was work if I was ever working outside of country my main use would be trying to basically use what I learned there to influence things back here because I think that I've got essentially a gift in terms of communication over here which I think is my is where I'm most useful um mm. so I could but I could definitely see myself um I mean I want to use my French language as well because that's my other that's my other language that's my second language um, do you speak Nigerian? Yeah. Uh, Yoruba, I don't. Um, oh. I have like 20 words and that's about it. My parents, instead of teaching me how to speak Yoruba, they used it as a way of speaking in code so that we, me and my brother wouldn't be able to understand them. So that's oh. a great job, mum and dad. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Uh, like a lot of people are learning because of the music, right? So like, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, like Jama Jamaican music was so hot right now. I see like Ed Sheeran trying to speak Yoruba on TikTok. It's, it's, it's so cool to see because growing up, it was all like Africans were like, uh, and I'm from Africa. It was all about Caribbeans. They were like the cool, and now to see Africa like on the main stage, it is amazing. Mm. It's always like we've been, we've wanted this for a long time. I'm so happy for it. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Especially TikTok. Um, there's so much Nigerian content on TikTok. It's amazing. Yeah. So, do you think that keeps you in touch with your like culture? Uh, yeah, to a, to a certain to a certain extent. I, I I don't. I think there's definitely. I definitely got room to improve on that on that front. But uh, it's definitely a help. TikTok do is basically. Do you vu vu? Pardon? Do you vu vu? 
I know I'm I'm more of a jollof rice and, and dodo sort of guy. So fried plantain. Okay, I love plantain. No, so we eat ugali, it's the same thing as mm. fufu, but mm. I grew up eating that, so yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on here and educating us. Thank you so much for inviting us. I love everything you're doing, and I love the the hope that you have, and I want you to to like impact all the youth, especially like in the hoods. They don't want to vote because they don't think that their their voices matter. They don't think that they matter. They think that they're just left un yeah. unheard and unvoiceless. You know, that, and, that's and the thing. I've, the got, I've gone. I've gone to um, to schools and I've spoken to like 16, 17 year olds. And the first question I ask is, who here cares about politics? And the next, and so like one or two hands will go up. And so the next question I ask is, who here cares whether or not you can get a job when you leave school? Who here cares whether or not you can get treated by the NHS or the health service? Who here cares how much stuff costs in the shops? All the hands will go up and I'll say, well, that's politics. And I get it because I was not engaged in politics at that age either. For me, especially as somebody living in Darlington, in the Northeast or in Birmingham, Politics was just basically old white men down in London, hundreds of miles away, away, shouting at each other. I didn't see any connection between that and my and my life. So I basically it took it took realizing that this does affect people's lives. And I think especially after the pandemic, people are seeing politics have a direct effect on their lives. And so I hope things will get better because of that. Yeah, and I think I think you're so inspiring, right? Because like so many like young young. Uh, <sighs> How do you, I, like, you have to be so politically correct. Like, young black boys can see you as an inspiration and be like, look, I don't need to become a drug dealer or I don't need, like, this guy is doing big things and he's out there with these old white men doing his thing and he's killing it. And he's Nigerian too. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I do this because I wanted people to see themselves reflected um, in the political discourse so that they don't, every time they turn on the news, it's not just an old white man in a suit. They can actually see somebody from a different demographic, somebody who actually looks a little bit more like them um, and might not understand a little bit more where they're coming from. Um, and so that's one of the things, reasons why I feel like it's okay for me to put my, my face forward. 100%. I love everything that you're doing and you give us hope, like for real, like you really do. It's, it's so amazing what you're doing and, and your hope for, for change is so good because when you're around everyone who just is like, this is it. You know, and it's so rare. Like, I didn't even think that there was people that actually think that they could make a difference. Oh, I, I think I think it's necessary. I think, like I said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it tends towards justice. This this cannot carry on. Like, people, the, the, the worse they do, the more people see that they're doing bad, and therefore the more rage that, that, that we get and the more push there is to make things better. So ultimately, this can't go on like this, and there will be change. I hope so. Seriously. I can't believe it. I had to apply for a visa. I sound like the most person, like London. You listen to my accent. You would yeah. never think that I need a visa to be in England. Like, that's crazy, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I do hope that a lot of changes. Is it is it easy for people right now from Europe to come to, to England to get work? Uh, not particularly. Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, the reason why we're burning pigs in, in fields is because we're struggling to bring over um, uh, people to, to do that work. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who is even a doctor, and even he struggled to um, to get work to get registered here in the UK and get get the, the visa requirements he needs. Um, so yeah, it's it's complicated now. 
It's so complicated. Do you think that they might alternatively start investing in the people here already? Like the British people, like become a doctor. Dude, you know what I mean? These jobs that I needed, like you instead of instead of like employing outside, even like nurses, right? They bring nurses from India and the Philippines. Why can't they start you like getting women or men to become nurses in the UK? Yep. I, I, I agree. There's there's been a there's been a failure of recruitment and a failure of making the I think the, the the more they underfund the NHS, the more stretched and the more difficult the nursing job becomes because there's just fewer of them, there's less resources, etc. And so the less attractive that position be, becomes, and therefore the less the fewer people want to actually become nurses, and the problem just multiplies itself. And that's you can't what's live off, off my mom is a gynecologist nurse. Mm. And you cannot, they, they like, especially in London, for example, you get paid 1200 pounds, yeah, and your rent is one grand. Yeah, so you yeah. have 200 pounds left, yeah. and what, like, and you got kids, and you like, it's mental, man, seriously. So, I really hope that you know, you, you go on to like be the prime minister of England for <laughs> real. I swear, here's hoping you can make the difference for us, man. Seriously, I want to say thank you. Do you like wrestling at all? Because a lot of the work I do is around the WWE. Do you like uh, wrestling? Did you grow up with it? I I I do on occasion, but mainly because my my best friend and flatmate is totally obsessed. So I will definitely tell him about anything you've got. But who is your favorite wrestler? Um. Oh, it's been a while. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to say Velveteen Dream because he's now extremely problematic. Um. Uh, so I, I don't know who I'd say. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to pass. All right then. Well, where can we find you? Uh, so I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you and TikTok and YouTube as Femi underscore sorry. So F E M I underscore S W S O R R Y. Okay. Thank you so much for coming here. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Legend. I can't wait to see what you do this year. Thank you. Take care. You too. Well, that was the incredible Femi joining us here and that was awesome um you were listening to sophia on vocal minds